0: I'm Chris Reback. This is Investigating Breast Cancer, the podcast of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation and conversations with the world's leading scientists studying breast cancer prevention, diagnosis, treatment, survivorship, and metastasis. You likely know the expression, pay it forward. It's an important concept for any kind of social awareness, but it can carry special meaning as well in the breast cancer world, particularly in research. That's because so much of today's important breakthroughs are built not only on yesterday's participation of other patients, but also, of course, the work of other researchers. It's a sentiment Dr. Luca Gianni not only knows well, but also puts into practice every day. As you'll hear in this important and engaging conversation, Dr. Gianni remains grateful to his mentor, Dr. Gianni Bonadonna, who brought him into the National Institute for the Study and Treatment of Cancer in Milan, Italy some 40 years ago. Based on what Dr. Gianni learned there, he has since delivered numerous important breakthroughs in cancer research. One involved finding ways to introduce therapies to treat tumors before a main treatment, particularly in women with locally advanced or inflammatory HER2-positive breast cancer. Now he's taking that same mindset, focus on early treatment, to drive his research in a key direction to help identify triple-negative breast cancer patients most likely to benefit from checkpoint inhibitor therapy before beginning the treatment and those who will do well with chemotherapy alone. Why does this matter? Not only would this help find patients with greater likelihood for an improved outcome, of course, but it also could help reduce the extreme costs and toxicity side effects for patients unlikely to benefit. More about Dr. Gianni. He is director of the Department of Medical Oncology and the head of the Project of Development of New Drugs and Innovative Therapies in Solid Tumors at the San Rafael Scientific Institute in Milan. He is also co-founder and president of the Michelangelo Foundation, a nonprofit organization designed to advance research in oncology and chairman of the Michelangelo Breast Cancer Study Group. Dr. Gianni has received several grants and research support and was awarded the Gianni Bonadonna Award and Fellowship by the American Society of Clinical Oncology in 2011. Yes, an award named after his mentor. He's also been a BCRF investigator since 2018. I connected with Dr. Gianni in his lab in Italy, which left me envious that the conversation occurred, as you'll hear, via computer rather than in person, say, in a local Milan cafe. Well, we can't have everything. Before a conversation, though, an ask from me to you. I hope you like these Investigating Breast Cancer conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you for considering my request. Okay, that's it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Luca Gianni. Dr. Gianni, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. I'd like to start this conversation with history. After all, you're in Italy, a country rich with incredible history. You're also co-founder and president, among other things, of the Michelangelo Foundation. That certainly feels to me like a nod towards history. So I assume you have, you, you have no problem with history, correct?
1: Well, I have little problems with history, but the, the name of the Michelangelo Foundation was not because of Michelangelo. It was a, a much less emphatic reason for that. The first meeting of the of the foundation was uh, in a hotel that was the Michelangelo Hotel, so we picked that up.
0: <laughs> okay, well, but the, I, 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 you know, I would think that perhaps the Michelangelo Hotel uh, was named was was named with a historical nod. Some uh, were, absolutely. yes, absolutely. <laughs> it, it's a good thing, I guess, that you did not have that meeting in a hotel. With a silly name and then ended up with a foundation with the silly name. At least you were in a hotel with a, a very. Maybe,
1: maybe, maybe we would have reverted to the Michelangelo <laughs> for some other.
0: I'm, I'm sure that you would have. So the, the, the history though that I really want to uh, ask you about, of course, is your own. Um, and, and specifically much of your early career work helped identify neoadjuvant therapies particularly in women with locally advanced or inflammatory HER2-positive breast cancer. So I want to really... Understand that because what I'm believing, and and we'll get into this, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, is that so much of your early work helped inform the work that you subsequently did, and that you are doing now. So, just to begin, what are neoadjuvant therapies, and why were those discoveries so significant?
1: Well, uh, it is a very difficult question, especially to explain. A neoadjuvant, in simple words, is Applying uh, drugs before the application of surgery, rather than uh, as an adjunct, adjuvant to the uh, after the surgery. So, uh, in principle, is a simple swap uh, uh, of timelines. So you start with one of the ingredients of the ideal type of of therapeutic approach uh, instead of the conventional one which uh, has been seen for many years uh, as uh, the surgical approach. Uh, The history goes that uh, time ago, it was very frequent to observe women with very advanced uh, breast cancer at first diagnosis and so advanced that the surgeon couldn't uh, apply uh, a clean type of surgery. By clean surgery, you mean a surgery where the margins were free of tumor cells. And so uh, those were the years when the first uh, effective chemotherapeutic combinations were made available. And the idea was, okay, let's try with effective drugs first and see if we can uh, shrink the cure to a size where the surgeon can kick in and do his job uh, at his best. And so that was the origin the origin of, of the neoadjuvant approach.
0: And is there something about your mindset, your thinking, your scientific approach that had you focus on the period before the surgery. That, that was, y- 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 as we get into, um, you know, the, the work that you are doing, um, in terms of, uh, the scoring and your, your immune based gene score work. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But it, it was feeling to me in, in looking at your history and looking at the work you do that a lot of your focus is on how do we address things early or as early as possible how do we how do we work in advance of some other event and and so i was trying to is that am, am i interpreting your your approach correctly
1: you have a correct interpretation what is my uh, my my real drive is to try and uh, apply what we have uh, at this best uh, in control conditions And if I apply the drugs before surgery, I can uh, investigate and see what happens with drugs and uh, uh, eventually change the drugs if uh, the results are not as satisfactory as I want them to be for the benefit of the patient. Uh, While if I apply the drugs after the surgery, I basically... I'm treating a condition where I am uh, um, considering risk. The risk is not certainty. It's not something that I can measure. I can approach an estimate of risk. And uh, uh, if I apply the the wrong type of drugs, I will know it only when there will be a relapse. And I don't want a relapse. So uh, uh, if I apply them early, when I can measure what do they do, I can optimize the type of approach and the treatment.
0: So let's talk about one of those conditions, and it's, it's one of the most challenging conditions, obviously, within the breast cancer world, and that's triple negative breast cancer. It, not, not all triple negative breast cancer cases are responsive to immunotherapy, are they? And the belief is that one factor impacting the ability to generate responsiveness is a lack of a biomarker to predict response to those therapies. So is that right? And, and talk to me about the, uh, the challenges around uh, the lack of responsiveness, potentially the lack of responsiveness to immunotherapy uh, among uh, some if not many triple negative breast cancer cases.
1: Okay, the, 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 the topic is extremely complex. Because uh, uh, immunotherapy has a different uh, uh, possibilities of being uh, the right answer uh, in uh, uh, according to many different things, many variables, as we call them. Uh, first of all, we shouldn't uh, uh, be distracted by the relatively minor type of uh, uh, results uh, with immunotherapy in metastatic breast cancer. Uh, we uh, are now uh, um, uh, having a good feeling that, indeed, uh, the, the, in metastatic disease, uh, there are a number of uh, 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 regulation of immune systems that are not present at first diagnosis. And uh, if you speak about immunotherapy, of uh, uh, triple negative breast cancer uh, recently there was a clear-cut demonstration that in the neoadjuvant setting the application of immunotherapy with chemotherapy affords potentially an outstanding uh, rate of responses that have never been witnessed before
0: Mm.
1: Uh, so that tells us two things number one is that uh, we should apply these drugs as early as possible. Number two, that maybe neoadjuvant, that is application before surgery, is better uh, than adjuvant treatment. Why is that so? We think, and there are experiments going in this direction, that if you apply immunotherapy as we have it, Uh, with chemotherapy, uh, in the presence of large uh, burden of tumor, you have a higher chance of achieving kind of a vaccination against the tumor. And so the results tend to be much long lasting than than, uh, if you apply uh, the same drugs after surgery when the tumor is almost nil or actually nil.
0: And what is our process? What is the process? And I think this starts to get into the work that you're among the work that you're doing. What is our process for identifying which cases, which individuals are receptive to that vaccine, that, that pre work that you've just described versus the ones that aren't so that it's not being done, um, you know, Randomly is not the right word, but, to, but to, so that it's being done um, with, with as much science and predictability as possible.
1: Okay. We have approached the problem uh, in, in, in different ways. One way is that of designing uh, specific protocols where uh, we use the immunotherapy with chemotherapy prospectively as neoadjuvant and test for immune variables, and that is one aspect. The other one is uh, uh, a different type of approach. In the past, uh, when there was only chemotherapy around, we were already focusing our uh, our attention on immunology and in the value of the immune system in modulating the response of chemotherapy. And uh, we defined Uh, and derived from uh, uh, data available in the literature that the expression of six genes associated with immune response was strongly associated with the probability of long-term survival without uh, progression or relapse. And we applied that to our uh, patients uh, both in the adjuvant and in the neoadjuvant um, uh, studies, and we observed that, that it worked. So our first approach is, okay, if it works, we need uh, to validate this finding. And if we validate this finding, we already have one major uh, um, uh, tool in our hands because mm. we will be able to identify those patients who are a very good chance of being cured by chemotherapy only
0: and is this the immune based gene score, or is that exactly yes this
1: is an immune based gene score, and that will allow us to focus our attention on the remaining cases that have not that type of probability and try to modulate the immune response into
0: these patients and my understanding is the the benefits of this opportunity of the work that you're doing could could be considered actually in two directions one is the positive direction identifying the cases that that perhaps have a higher probability um, of success, but then also in terms of managing the downside risk, managing wasted cost, but, but even more significantly probably, um, saving people from having to deal with the toxicity when the process likely won't work for them anyhow. Is that right? Is it, is it right to look at this bi-directionally?
1: You, you, you got it perfectly right. The point is that uh, any additional drug is uh, uh, an addition of uh, a potential source uh, of toxicity. Drugs are very good, but drugs can be very toxic. So if I can avoid drugs because they are not needed, that is a very important type of information. Uh, the other thing is that there are cases where I do need those drugs, mm. and I want to know them positively rather than giving the drug to hundred percent of the of the cases who come to my office and causing many of them just a the toxicity, and in other patients have no effect uh, whatsoever, and because they progress, so I wanted to discriminate the effect of the drugs that I got that I give. This is even more important in current uh, in current uh, oncology, where many new drugs are so expensive that uh, really challenge uh, the financial uh, possibilities of of individuals.
0: Yeah, doing that pre work could be very very helpful on a number of fronts as you're identifying. How would you characterize where you are on this work? Are you where you? thought you would be, where you would hope to be? Is there any aspect of it that you're finding particularly challenging and, and you wish maybe you had uh, Michelangelo around to help you think through the problem? Uh, how, how would you characterize where you are on your work?
1: Well, uh, we are in midway, as it often happens. We have very good initial findings. And uh, what we have done is uh, to uh uses uh, a, a very good uh, uh, sample collections that uh, uh, we uh, uh, have done during the years uh, in in a couple of our trials so we have conducted in the past years uh, as the michelangelo group uh, two large trials of neoadjuvant uh, approach and uh, we have now selected more than 350 patients with triple negative breast cancer in whom we have available the tissue of the original diagnosis, so the tissue during the treatment and whatever it was left at surgery. In addition to that, uh, we have blood from them. So we started uh, recently uh, uh, to uh, perform a series of assays and tests uh, to uh, uh, explore uh, several aspects of the the tumor uh, and uh, interpret the results uh, and apply our immune score uh, in these patients. Uh, This is not immediate, but we now have the possibility of um, um, using this, uh, this, uh, this tool, which is very important. To give you an example, uh, since uh, the collection of samples and uh, the uh, analysis of the trial have already been completed, we basically have the possibility of uh, linking the uh, immunoscore or the findings uh, already to the results to the intermediate results measure, measured at surgery, and to the long longer-term results measured with continuous follow-up. So although we uh, have just started with these assays, we have the privilege of counting on uh, the complete clinical trial uh, uh, done and so of interpreting the results much in a, in a faster way than if we started today The collection of
0: tumor. And and earlier in this conversation, you indicated that one thing that you don't like, and nobody likes, of course, is uh, recurrence. and And so, is am I understanding you correctly that uh, you're also, you know, part of this work, um, or maybe it's uh, adjacent work that you're doing, um, also can help identify uh, various factors linked to the risk of recurrence.
1: Yes. Yes, this is exactly the point, because, you know, we have a positive uh, part, as you already said, which is identifying those who do not need anything more, because they already have a very high probability of being cured. And uh, on the other hand, we have the possibility of identifying those cases who unfortunately didn't reach that level and who need more. And so apply to them more uh, uh, therapeutic opportunities that currently we have available, and and do something that is more focused and more uh, uh, optimized for their needs.
0: Dr. Gianni, what is it like doing this work in Italy? What is the culture there around breast cancer? Here in the U.S., of course, it's obviously a very big deal, very high level of awareness, maybe not about every medical detail, but certainly about the disease, generally the seriousness of it. Um, And because it's affected so many people, there's a certain openness about discussion. Um, Is that the case in Italy? What's the public consciousness like there around breast cancer?
1: Well, the the consciousness is very deep. And uh, I would say that especially in the northern part of Italy, uh, uh, the approach is not very far and very different from that in the United States. Uh, also in terms of awareness of the problem and uh, adherence uh, to the uh, criteria for screening and so on and so forth. Uh, as it happens also in the United States where you have uh, uh, less privileged uh, subgroups of population, also in Italy we have uh, groups of people uh, Who do not fully understand the developments of screening and, and the importance of early diagnosis of, of, of breast cancer, but uh, in general, the the, the type of of, of, of of approach is not very far. You have also to consider that we were very lucky. Uh, in Italy, we uh, grew in terms of oncology. Uh, under the guidance of giants of oncology such as Gianni Bonadonna, and for the surgical part such as uh, Umberto Veronesi, and they were able to reach not only the doctors but also uh, the lay people and make them understand how important it is uh, to have an early diagnosis. So. so I think that Italy is, uh, is in this respect, uh, a, a country where it's easy to work uh, with the, with the type of object, uh, objectives that we have within Michelangelo and within, uh, and within my group.
0: So you, you just mentioned him. It's impossible to have a conversation with you without also, uh, asking about the influence of, uh, Giandi Bonadonna, um, on you. Now you, you, you come, from a family of doctors, your your parents, I understand, were both doctors, and so was it always going to be medicine of some sort for you? And then the work that you did with uh, Bonadonna um, moved you towards research. Were, you know, uh, or or did you uh, were, were your parents pushing you towards uh, the arts and literature, and you rebelled against them and went into science instead?
1: No. Uh... My father was a prominent doctor in Italy, but he didn't want me to be a doctor. Uh, And uh, I decided to be a doctor. And my interest has always been in internal medicine and actually in liver diseases. And uh, Mm. when I met Gianni Bonadon, I met it by chance. Uh, Gianni Bonadon had been... uh, um, uh, working with my father when my father was uh, uh, senior staff at the University of Milan. And, uh, um, and so uh, when he came back, Gianni Bonadonna came back from the United States, called up my father and said, well, I need young people to work in my, in my new division, and I would like to know if you, do you know anybody? And so my father said, my, my, my son is here, and he's an internist. And he asked me to go and speak with Gianni Bonadonna. And uh, I went to Gianni, and they said, uh, uh, I'm not interested in oncology. Those were times where, uh, when uh, uh, oncology uh, patient uh, had very terrible uh, prognosis in front of them. Uh, mm-hmm. We were late in making diagnoses, had no drugs and so on. And they said that the only interest uh, I said to Gianni Bonadonna to to come, and uh, and work in oncology is if I had a chance to go in the United States and do research. And so he said, well, i like people uh, that do not uh, sit on their back to make a career. So come on, and uh, I will send you to the United States and do research. <laughs> and so that was uh, my entrance door into the oncology field and uh, into my acquaintance uh, with Johnny uh, Bonadonna.
0: And then I read where in in 2011, uh, the American Society of Clinical Oncology awarded you the Johnny uh, Bonadonna Award and Fellowship, um, given your relationship. And, you know, I don't know if he is still alive. I don't know. And if he did pass away, I don't know when that was. But uh, that must have been extremely meaningful for you to win, win the award um, in his name.
1: Absolutely. He was... Uh... Uh, Absolutely incredible for me. And, uh, uh, you know, Johnny had been uh, really uh, hit hard by uh, a vascular uh, hemorrhage uh, and cerebral hemorrhage. And so um, I took over. All of his work and went on. I, uh, until then, I was working in on oncology, in new drug development, not in the in the breast field. And so uh, when they awarded me the Johnny Bonadonna Prize, it was really uh, uh, it was very emotional for me. And Johnny uh, Bonadonna was still alive at then, and mm. and he, and he, he was uh, 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 as moved as I was. Uh, when uh, when uh, it was given to me. Gianni passed away in 2015, and, uh, and we decided Michelangelo to, to create a new uh, no-profit foundation dedicated to him. And uh, so now we have a Gianni Bonadonna Foundation just for innovative new drugs, uh, doing something different from the Michelangelo, but is something that we, we really care a lot about.
0: That's a tremendous legacy. That's uh, that's wonderful. Um, to close out, um, BCRF. Wh- what role have has BCRF played in your research?
1: BCRF is playing a key role. You know, I uh, we have been uh, very good in uh, making clinical trials and in running clinical trials uh, in uh, in a very resolute, innovative, and uh, uh, in, in a very reliable way. But uh, we were missing the uh, opportunity to run uh, translational research. We had collected plenty of samples, but we had no possibility to go ahead with that beyond any given point. And Breast Cancer Research Foundation is just uh, looking into our uh, data set and saying we like it uh, and uh, we support you. And does so in such a simplified way that our life is much easier than with any grant application that I ever had. And so I am particularly grateful to Breast Cancer Research Foundation for this, for this straightforward approach uh, and support to our science.
0: And finally, a look to the future. I read a piece on you that starts, according to Luca Gianni, everyone has a wish list of career milestones that feeds their dreams and ambitions. Uh, You have accomplished so much. What is the next career milestone that would feed your dreams and ambitions?
1: Well, (laughs) frankly, I would love uh, to leave uh, um, this uh, intent and intensiveness into people that they know that they can do something and accomplish something. Young people uh, must be supported. Uh, um, you know the future is with them. Um, so my next uh, my next goal is uh, to maintain a tradition. I was uh, supported by Gianni Bonadonna and other like him. Uh, I could name Larry Norton, I could name uh, Gabriel Tobaji and plenty of friends that I met during my career. And uh, I think that I was an extremely lucky man and very fortunate to make these meetings and encounters. And I would like to create the opportunities for other young and talented people uh, to get the same good luck and, uh, and support in their career. So that's my real goal for the future.
0: Dr. Gianni, thank you. Thank you for your time. And thank you, of course, for the work that you have done and are doing.
1: Thank you very much for this chat. It was very pleasant.
0: That was my conversation with Dr. Gianni. My thanks to Dr. Gianni for joining and you for listening. To learn more about breast cancer research or to subscribe to our podcast, go to bcrf.org podcasts.